Good morning, my name is Jack Crawford. This is Jared to Jared. On this week's episode, the Jareds discuss the movie first reformed. Empathy. Bringing back Metro. The Fractured Village. Oppenheimer. And much, much more. Let's set sail. Hey, I was talking to a friend earlier. You know the term metrosexual? Yeah, I was actually calling my friend that the other day. Oh, that's funny. We're on the same wavelength because me and my homie are like laughing about it. But <laughs> like that's one of those terms that completely fell out of use. I know. I, Why is After it? like 2006, everyone stopped using metrosexual. It's funny, too, that there's a metro mobile, but when nobody says like... Nobody makes fun of it, you know. I I feel like if this was like 1998 or 2003, people would be like, "Oh, you got Metro Mobile, man." <laughs> Metro Yeah, we gotta bring that one back into use. Definitely, my friend was like, came up because my friend was like, he was weird saying how he's not much of an outdoorsman, doesn't really like take his son fishing. <laughs> <laughs> You know, those are like camping. So I was like, you know what you are, man? He's like, what? I was like, you're metrosexual, man. Oh, full metro, bro. (laughs) Full metro, man. (laughs) He agreed. He's totally agreed. Bro, we got to bring it back. We should change the name of this podcast to the metrosexual pod. (laughs) The metro pod. (laughs) Metro pod. (laughs) Oh, man. How weird, too. And Metro, as in, you know, the city man, the city boy is like, right, gets his eyebrows, freaking uh, shaves his legs and like, you know. Well, that's the funny thing is like you can't I feel like you can't get in trouble for for making fun of metrosexual because it's like not real. Right, right. No one's like, oh, that's like I actually identify as a metrosexual, and you're being metrophobic right now. Like that just doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Like Metro's fair game. You could tear Metro apart, and no one would care. Which is funny because it's essentially like a straight gay man, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just like a straight guy who like gets his eyebrows done. (laughs) (laughs) Stereotypes. That is, you know, but. I like this. I like this. That's funny. So thoughts on first reformed. Yeah. So many. Um, Gosh, I, I honestly don't know where to begin. I I, I guess I'll just start with the setting because it was upstate New York, which, which I'm familiar with. Yeah. And, um, oh man, it's, it's so bleak up there. It's like, like, I feel like the depiction of that setting or even just the setting as, as, upstate new york as the set choice was like so spot on you know because it really is a uh it, it's really bleak like it it's right. gray like you know 360 days a year it's just like cold and ugly pretty economically deprived it's like not a great place you know i mean it's really beautiful there's some you know beautiful some beautiful nature up there but like up, up by albany like albany is like a wretched city it's fucking really? Yeah, it's not great, isn't it? Close is is Salem upstate New York, or is that like that's Massachusetts? Massachusetts, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, just like the 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 uh, the weather, at least, just gray and grim, and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's funny because every time I ask somebody from the East Coast about like the beach, you know, and just like, well, how's the beaches and stuff like that? You know, nobody ever really has that good of stuff to say. Like occasionally. Really? I, I love the beaches. Me, you've told me like Long Island yeah. can be pretty chill or whatever. But it's not really the like reception that I get from a person on the West Coast. Where even the whole social stigma around West Coast beaches are like, oh, it's so nice and like chill. Of course, Florida, you know, that's a different case. But upstate, you know, beaches, I don't know. And and you think about where he decided to get buried in that crazy freaking polluted yeah. nectar of the of the beach there. I don't know. It seems like the East Coast, the coast in general has been more industrialized thus thus less of a touristy sort of even a human call to want to go there you think that's the case or is simply because it's colder um yes and no so i mean like long island does have beautiful beaches like you gotta come out one day you would really love it go like yeah. clamming yeah. or something you'd, you'd have a lot of fun you know <laughs> i was born to clam man <laughs> bro for real john steinbeck's house is in uh eastern long island it's it's there's yeah. some cool things yeah um but yeah i mean as far as that upstate vibe or new england um it is very gray and it there is something kind of wretched about it and and i think that was the uh the hudson river that they were on because okay. I'm just thinking of New York geography, that that would be, I'm pretty sure Albany is like close to the Hudson River. Yeah. Um, but either way, just this like you know, polluted ass river. Like I knew this girl in college who said her and her sister grew up swimming in the Hudson, and both of them ended up getting like um, in their twenties, like cysts on their ovaries or something, and they were like, "Is this genetic? Is this from swimming in the Hudson?" You know. <laughs> so it's um. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it can be bleak, but again, and you know, you catch a nice day in the summer, it's absolutely beautiful. There's mountains, there's trees and, and a lot of great nature there. And I do know some people from, from my college days who are, um, who play music in, in upstate New York and are really connected to this, like, um, upstate New York, like folk music history and like right the erie canal and i mean there there is some like cool folk history around around that area um dudes playing fiddles and stuff like that um but yeah generally it's like not a great place to be no no one like seeks it out you know right right upstate um why do you think that this the the like bleakness of that sort of metro setting you know when he's driving through the town <laughs> with the uh, enterprise rent a car in the ghettos over there upstate you know new york you know right uh and even the church itself so grim and just like him out cleaning up the graveyard the dead rabbit and stuff like that yeah many of these grim settings fit uh a christian narrative so well Dude, exactly, exactly. And that was the other thing I was gonna I was gonna compare it to the, the witch. Right, right. Have you seen right. that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus Salem. Yeah. It's so good. That that's probably one of my favorite horror movies. Is that Ari Aster? I think it might be. I think it is. Yeah. Or yeah. no, or it's the guy who did uh The Lighthouse. Okay. Whoever wrote The Lighthouse also wrote The Witch. 
talk about that. I'll look it up. Yeah, because it's all that. Um, look that up, Jamie. Look that up, Jamie. Because <laughs> it's all. Um, he does that like weird, like um, colonial era language and stuff. Right. This like this like Herman Melville esque language. Um. At any rate, though, yeah, I mean Robert that, Eggers. Robert, Robert Eggers, yeah, yeah, so good. Um, but yeah, the Northeast just does have this like like you can tap into this like deep dark puritanical vibe if you want to you know yeah colonial era i mean that's something that's fascinating in that region is you can find colonial era houses colonial era settings and graveyards and things like that and you you can feel it It, it's definitely an energy that you can tap into and feel right right yeah so what do you think the deep connection is to nature well and just the response of the boyfriend to be so emotional and like so moved by by yeah. what's happening is this something we could all fall into do you think he had like clearly i mean he had mental issues depression you know right have right. some ocd or whatever but i mean or is that simply human empathy i was i was sort of trying to think about this you know can empathy mm-hmm. drive us to violence drive us to such a deep sadness where we would want to become human bombers strapping on a freaking you know a bomb vest suicide bombers vest right so oh man that's yeah see it's a tough issue because watching it on one hand we all get it you know it's a it's a powerful movie because it's something we all understand i mean and this movie okay it came out in 2018 in in the context of the movie they say it's 2017 so i'm assuming it was film 2017 right, released 2018 right. and they're talking about environmental disaster um um social collapse all of this stuff and and it's only gotten worse you know it's only been five six years and it's getting worse and now there's fucking aliens and um it's it's just, it's getting weirder and scarier and worse you know it is yeah the world is is a uneasy place right now and and is there is there a desire to do something about it yeah of course you know i think generally people are pretty good at their core and want to want to do something about it but it's so massive what do you what do you do right and then i think it reminded me of the line that you know the greenest thing you can possibly do is hang yourself from a tree you know and so i don't know so i was wondering was his was his suicide also a kind of activism where he was saying i i can't change this and that's devastating but i can remove one one in one individual from a hyper consumeristic society i can erase that single individual and maybe have some sort of like very slight impact on the on the carbon footprint i don't know well, and then his death goes into what he was asking the guy at the first return visit when he goes and visits him, you know, Jehovah Witness style. As the guy asks him about martyrdom, right? How do you feel about martyrdom? How, you know, did the martyrs give up a lot? Did they sacrifice, you know? So he was also engaging in that as well at the end. Yeah, yeah. He, sure. he couldn't kill, but killing himself, he would become a martyr, sort of, you know, Joan of Arc figure and freaking yeah. uh, 
for environmental issues. Um, man, when he put when he's putting on the 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 barbed wire fence, did you see that coming? When I first watched that oh movie, I was God. like, "It's just I, as brutal the second time too." I was like, "No." <laughs> I love these movies where the main character becomes increasingly unhinged. Yeah, yeah, they're so fucked up, right? Like and the lighthouse, dude. Like I like that scene where he goes back to where they they spread the ashes of that guy. Yeah, and he stays there overnight. You know, tell me about right. a time in your life when you were so stressed out that you stayed up overnight. Even listeners, you know, think about a time in your life. I was thinking about a time like when I was a young man one time. I first time me and Hillary ever broke up, I stayed awake all night long. Wow. Until the sun came up and then woke her up, freaking did it, you know, and just wow. like wild. I was like a young man. But that was one moment where you're so pressed with anxiety and fear and yeah, anguish and needing to change something or whatever that you literally can't sleep till the sun comes up. Right, right. Okay, here's a question for you, because one thing I was considering with that character who commits suicide, the, the environmental activist. Um, okay, one one tendency I've noticed among people who get deeply involved in activism, and this isn't everyone, but I think a lot of people use the social political realm um, to project their inner turmoil onto, right? And then find, find, and then the rationality is there. You know, it's like they can be very, very correct that we're on the brink of environmental disaster. It's happening, right? And they can spend all day and night researching it. And they're right. They're not wrong. But what's the actual motivation behind that obsession? Is it because you truly do want to, to, in an authentic way, want to, you know, learn about it and try and make a change? Or is there an attempt to, project some sort of inner turmoil onto that social political landscape. So for example, um, okay, someone's really, really pissed off about like capitalism and the government, but then it turns out they have like, you know, they hate their dad. So then they have an issue with like authority figures and they're actually projecting their issue with authority figures onto right authority right. figures. Right. Um, I don't know. Is, is that making sense? What I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, of course. So there's okay, cool. uh there's this Christian Bell movie. I can't think of the name of it right now. Yeah. But he essentially gets into the F he's trying to get into the drug unit of the FBI or whatever, you know. And uh and is this training no, not training day. No. Okay. It's uh yeah, a Christian Bell one. <laughs> and um oh, okay probably like the makers of training day <laughs> yeah sure but he's trying to get in and uh he's a cop and stuff and he has to go through all kinds of crazy shit and he has a crazy life i think his daughter dies or something like that you know and he goes to take the test and uh he tries to to fool the polygraph by like you know putting like i don't even know what he does it's some wild stuff like some some freaking uh eye drops and his freaking wing doodle for the drug test and like just all kinds of crazy stuff anyways ultimately he fails the the thing the polygraph so they freaking tell him you can't do this whatever you know 
And I'm probably butchering the story a little bit, but he gets a call back from the CIA or FBI and they're like, okay, we want you to come work for us. We understand that you, you know, you had some drugs in your system. We know your record, your, your death and your family, you're alone, your freaking despair, all this stuff, but you have all this training. So we're going to send you to Mexico to like the most roughest places in the world where we fight crime, you know, and this is an actual process apparently of the American government. So the justice systems is they will specifically find people that are sexually suicidal. Yeah. Because they can then transfer their rationale or fear into child sex trafficking drugs drug crimes deaths all that stuff they can turn their mm. their depression and their psychosis just right. like you're saying transfer it onto something and then it then gets rationalized their their suicidal behavior and what yeah. what they do is they get sent into these wild situations you know in the freaking war zones of Juarez and Chihuahua yeah and uh, the the probability of living is very very low you know but it's a way in which to exploit people like ethan hawk or the guy who shot himself you know yeah 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 exactly and i i think we we have these internal emotional energies right and then those energies can get redirected they can get you know used and abused by people in power things like that i mean look at anyone who has ever you know, fall and pray to the rhetoric of a, of a dictator, for example, right? Um, like those emotions are real. You know, you look at the environment that like Hitler rose to power and it's like Germany was was absolutely destroyed. You know, after World War One, they were just completely annihilated economically and people were starving. So people were scared. They were upset. They were angry. They wanted change, you know? And then you have this figure who who takes that energy which is all very legitimate energy and then redirects it in in seriously evil ways or you know or you look at like charles manson you know preying on um essentially these like lonely teenage girls you know who are kind of outsider figures who wanted to fit in wanted community wanted a family essentially and the manson's like oh cool let me take that very pure energy and then just redirect it towards uh, nefarious purposes so I think that happens all the time, but then it also happens with not so nefarious purposes, right? I mean, this political upset, upset about climate change, all that stuff, and then it gets redirected toward, um, well, I mean, activism, I don't know, I think activism's good, you know, I think it's healthy, activism makes positive change very often, you know, um, but it's just interesting to see, like, how how energies get redirected. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think that absolutely, you know, we can go on either side of any political fence or ideological stance. You know, we we can take things to to a, a bad level, whether yeah. it starts off good or bad. Yeah. Jazz environmentalism. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you're freaking, you got a, you're wearing a bomb, a, a vest bomb, and you're, right. Yeah. Committing murder, essentially. You yeah. Know? I mean, and you could become, the point what Ethan Hawke told him, you think, you know, <clears throat> uh, bringing a child into this world 
will bring anguish. Imagine the anguish of taking one out. Yeah. So there's that spectrum of like, okay, then you're crossing an unnatural morality, right? Uh, An immoral because it's so unnatural to do something, you know, you're taking it to a violent effect, murder, et cetera. Right. Uh, Taking over your life, your wife's life, all this stuff, you know, so whether it could start off good or not, you can get to that bad spot and ideology. Here's the inverse, though. At what point, though, is it genuine empathy, you know, and I think and and uh, how far can empathy really, really, really go? I mean, I'm sure empathy has taken people who otherwise didn't have mental problems and gave them severe trauma. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, you find out this information of all this wild stuff that's happening and you get so mm-hmm. pathetic, so sad about it, so moved that it literally changes the chemistry of your brain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's, yeah, we, li- I mean, we live in very dense, dense times and, and I'm, I'm a pretty empathic person. You know, I walk into a room and can feel the energy in the room, that sort of thing. And when I sit back and feel the energy of the room in the in the big room, you know, the the world, the nation, if I try and tap into that, it's it causes me anxiety, it causes me fear. Or, or when I think of, you know, when I was a high school teacher and a lot of kids going through stuff and I could feel all their shit, you know, this kid's going through some crazy stuff, that kid is too. And then there's I can feel their anger, their frustration, their fear all of it to a point where where i just got burnt out it was empathy burnout it wasn't like healthy it wasn't like useful i maybe someone else has learned how to like channel that that empathy in positive ways but it, it just became uh burnout for me you know so but then the other the other side of that is okay 20 minutes before we started recording i saw a grasshopper on the uh glass door lead the glass back door and I'm looking at this grasshopper and I can, I'm just like observing it and watching it crawl. It was kind of cool. And I can, I'm looking at it closely enough that I can see it breathing. You know, I can, I can see it's, it's abdomen, you know, inflating and deflating, ex- inhaling and exhaling. Right. And I felt this very strong, I guess, empathy sort of connection with, with this grasshopper where it was like, oh we're doing the same thing you just happen to be a grasshopper and i happen to be a human but we're doing the same exact thing at least at the breathing level like you know right. we're, we're we're not so different you and i mr grasshopper <laughs> you know so like and in that in, in that moment go wish upon a star <laughs> <laughs> yeah and in that moment i felt uh, just you know as small as it was a level of connection and appreciation and all of that you know and it's like i think that's maybe where you know take environmental activism uh can become i don't know misdirected or just or just angry instead of inspiring is when we're not we're not feeling with we're not we're not experiencing this from a place of compassion but just from from anger or something like that you know it's like yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
Right. And even like uh, from a place of like envy or something from this rich, white, bald guy, you know. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to fucking kill this guy, you know. Yeah. But and really, talk about, you got to think I'm, about Geppetto out there, you know. Make a wish upon <laughs> Because you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's where are you going to be most effective? Yeah. Uh, remembering you're, you're a child of nature as well. And um, how do you fit into the role of of trying to make a genuine change on a personal level? And yeah. was Foucault's thing, he was completely against uh, uh, protesting and stuff like that. Activists mm. protesting because he felt like they reinstituted and re and and redefined uh, social and racial stereotypes, right? Mm. Um, the b- very thing that you're fighting against, you're just uh reinforcing it by saying this is yeah. what it is. Yeah. This is what they call us, right? You just keep doing it. Right. Really, the truest change you can. And he said that that's basically goes into a sort of sense of narcissistic virtual sig- signaling. You know. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. But essentially, the best way to make change is on a personal level. Um. The identifications with with uh, with whatever you're fighting against. It doesn't have to just be um, environmentalism or w- whatever it is. Right. Here's another yeah. sidebar. Man, crazy to be a priest, huh? To like the role of the priest. I was thinking thousands and thousands. How long have have these figures, these spiritual leaders in Native American culture, Buddhist, Asian, you know, whatever, uh, have been around? The role of essentially like a uh, 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 religious therapist, you know, go yeah. to the house, really get intimate with your with you know, sure. it's just these regular people out there. Yeah, yeah, Weird. yeah. So. First, I want to say, going back to the empathy thing, when Ethan Hawke's character wraps himself in the in the barbed wire, yeah. um, I think that's an act of radical empathy, right? Because what happened with the with the rabbit that he the dead rabbit that was caught on the barbed wire, right? I mean, he he was he was the rabbit. He was enacting what happened to the rabbit in order to feel with as deeply as possible, right? You know, since since he wasn't able to to make any change, yeah. Um, so I think there's something there. Um, but yeah, as far as like the priest class goes or shaman class or whatever, spiritual leader class, you know? Right. Um, honest. So the first answer that came to mind was as, as far back as, as long as people could dream, there was that class of people. And what made me think that was, um, part of my relationship with my sister, this is like a cute sibling thing. Every so often, um and we've been doing this for years she'll like text me a dream that she had you know and then and then be like hey what do you think what what that what that one mean you know yeah yeah and it's it's just like a fun way to you know stay connected and then we talk about dreams and what's going on in our lives and and all of that um and i think it came about actually just because having been a student of uh english literature i'm just like good at reading symbolism essentially you know so so like reading, you know, reading into, okay, what's, what's this dream trying to say to my sister? Um, you know, we end up having these like really sweet conversations. Um, 
and I kind of picture it like being like that's how it started right I mean like like before it became a power structure and religious structure and institution and all of that stuff you know um just a few people sitting around being like hey this thing happened to me and I don't really know how to how to interpret it whether it was a dream or an experience and then another person who who maybe was a little bit older or just had some additional wisdom or or whatever the case um was able to sit and and say oh yeah let's talk about that let's what is going on with that and then maybe start to build up a body of knowledge where it was well i was talking to um you know my this person over there my cousin who had a similar experience and this is how they healed from it maybe we can try that you know and and then and then a knowledge base you know begins to build sure sure yeah so i think the yeah the spiritual the spiritual class started when dreams started sort of as like a companionship or a friendship somebody that you could take solace in going back to the hero's journey even the Mm. elder the wise man yeah um or even like you're saying a sibling it's it's that that human relationship i think what it is and it's interesting too because you know modern day therapy really warns against going to people that aren't formally educated to give psycho psychotherapy Oh, yeah, totally. And they can really fuck somebody up. And there are really dumb people out there who get into these patriarchal, really high level statuses and churches, right? Yeah. You have three brain cells, right? Don't listen to them. But on the other hand, there is, has been in all, all religions, Native American, whatever it is, samurai, whatever, they have gone by a fundamental fundamental code of helping people through communication right yeah and one way in which we heal ourselves is through speech is through talking with another human to figure out whatever the issue is it not only heals us saying it out loud but then we can also get a reevaluation within our own minds of how mindset of how we're thinking about a set issue. Right. Right. So it, it's interesting to think that it, they, it's also, it, it, it's also highly effective though dangerous. It can be highly effective. Right. Mm. And we accept a narrative, especially in movies in American contemporary society that when all hope is lost, the exorcist, uh first reformed right yeah um who 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 do you call the ghostbusters the freaking (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) but really though and then why is that narrative accepted because i think ultimately the most healing thing somebody can have is a person that takes you seriously and 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 has empathy for you yeah reformed style so really he was like the epitome of what one of jesus's followers or apostles should be is having Mm. so much empathy for his sheep this dude he actually like lived in his shoes and felt his pain yeah yeah and i was gonna yeah i love how you said like literally lived in his shoes because i was gonna um bring that up because that reminded me of a foucault thing where foucault talks about like the kind of like web of power 
Right. Actually, I feel like this is something you told me years ago. But anyway, this like web of power. Yeah. And it, and if one of the power nodes is removed, then the rest of the web or or another node from the web like moves in to fill that in. You know, it's essentially right. power vacuum gets filled. And it gets worse because it has to compensate. So it's like a scar tissue. It just yeah yeah you know and, and yeah yeah break yeah exactly. So so you know the environmental activist is dead, and then Ethan Hawke. We know from uh, what he says earlier in the movie that his wife had left him and his son is dead already. So he's lacking a wife and a son. And then the the pregnant lady, the the wife of the guy who died, uh, she is now lacking a husband and she has a boy on the way. Right. So they right. like two puzzle pieces. They just end up naturally, you know, fulfilling one another's needs. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. What did you think of that scene where they're like laying on top of each other, universe traveling, and they're like oh, so weird, floating so in the church? Yeah, <laughs> so funny. You know, I took issue with the ending. I kind of wish that he it was a little too Hollywood. I kind of wish that she wouldn't have came in and they start making out. She didn't even notice he had a barbed wire freaking shirt on either. I know, bro. And she's all hugging him. Uh, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, that's fucking pressing the barbed wire into I his know. body. Jesus. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I think that, honestly, you know what I would have wanted was the bomb. I think that would have been crazy if the movie cool. straight up went for it, you know. Should have gone for and it. And he was there. Maybe the barbed wire, too, puts the barbed wire on under the yeah. vest you know yeah yeah that would have been tight goes the rope starts bleeding through and then yeah. pulls the trigger boom yeah but and also with the barbed wire there's so much symbolism in that movie the barbed wire was the uh the crown of thorns right 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 i mean what 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 do you think the director was trying to say there that she comes in and basically saves him is was that yeah. hollywood yeah, it, it took like a weird Hollywood turn. Like, okay. I don't know. Do you, do you know if it was a book at first? Because I'd be curious how the book ended. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that was a weird, you know, like, like, and then what fucking happens? And then she's like, like, oh, you have barbed wire all over your body. Like, <laughs> you, you want, should we go to the hospital? Like, what happened to the hospital? <laughs> and that, uh, I was thinking that too. Just like, so what happened? She like gets yeah. a job at Target and he goes, Dude, yeah, exactly. Like, they live in Buffalo, New York. She works at Target. <laughs> he like goes to like teach some like, uh, college classes. You know? <laughs> right. Once a year, he gets standing seats to the Buffalo Bills game. Yeah. Like, like, what the like, fuck? Like, they what try happened? to have a kid. I, or he takes care of their kid like yeah well okay here's a question for you because this is something i've been grappling with in uh in my own life and, and it relates to the movie too so okay so ethan hawk's character he's a sensitive soul right i mean he's there there's the one scene where he's talking to um oh fuck is that forrest forrest whitaker was that that actor uh which or cedric oh, no, um, that was a uh, cedric the entertainer i think that's right yeah yeah is his last name the entertainer what well you yeah. know like what's his last name <laughs> anyway so ethan ethan hawk is talking to uh cedric and um and then cedric is saying you're always in the garden you're always in the garden you know referring oh, to, like, i like that scene. Yeah, yeah such a good dialogue and ethan hawk says 
or or Cedric says like, and and who's that guy you're always reading? You know, and Ethan Hawke goes Thomas Merton. Are you are you familiar with Thomas Merton? Not too much. No, I haven't read any of his books yet. But some some other writers I, I admire are are into Thomas Merton. But he he's pretty much like a uh, Catholic mystic kind of figure. He was around in like the fifties and just you know sat inside writing a bunch of books and really visionary things. You know, as Catholic, but also pretty pretty spot on you know like right, you know right. he's talking about compassion empathy unity stepping into like the emptiness of the universe like really really mystical sort of stuff okay so ethan hawk is you know he's accused by cedric of of just sitting around reading not actually doing anything just like hanging out at that old church all day right and like ethan hawk he's a sensitive soul he's he he's a historian he's a poet he's he's a gardener he's you know all of these all of these very sensitive kind of roles wrapped into one right and then he gets hurt you know and and this is this is real i mean a lot of people with like addiction issues for example are really really sensitive people who can't bear the uh you know the pain of existence right and then and then try and do something about it and you know find themselves in trouble so it's like you have Ethan Hawke, who's that sensitive figure, who's really feels, you know, the suffering of of the people around him. He's so empathetic. And then Cedric is representative of the institution, who's like, yeah, well, you know, you have your feelings, great, but that's not the way things really are. Like, we, I you also know, we, like the juxtaposition, like we were saying last week. You know, I can't remember how you put it, but. Fucking lame shit about Jesus. <laughs> we were talking about the cool things about Jesus, you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And, and then, yeah. like to show that, like, yeah, like Cedric, the entertainer, freaking, he's the shitty part. He's the institution. Yes, yeah. the institution, yeah. and you know, first reformer, yeah. Ethan Hawke. He's he's the badass, mystical, like yeah, exactly. He's the mystical, sensitive, humanistic. Yeah. 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 So so okay. So I guess my personal struggle right now is I kind of resonated with the Ethan Hawke character. You know, I'm not going to wrap myself in barbed wire, but like, sure. but in that sense of like, I just feel sensitive to the world around me. The the institutionalization of fucking everything. Um, you know, just like late stage capitalism destruction of the world just all of this stuff that really does you know can put me in a place of despair it's really really upsetting you know and then and then also just trying to live a day-to-day life where it's like okay well i need to make money to to eat but in order to make money i have to participate in what seems like inherently destructive systems and and all of that right how do we do it you know how do we how do we how do we live our values within the world as it is? Right. Right. You know, again, then you have figures like, you know, these mystical figures, Buddha, St. Francis, all these people who just like left. They were just like, fuck it. The society is inherently abusive. I'm not going to participate in it. And then they go live in the woods, you know, starving to death and shit like that. It's not a comfortable life, but they're living by their values, you know? So, or you first reform it or Jesus style and you essentially commit suicide, you know, Margaret. Right. Yeah. Uh, How do we square these things? You know, how do we square? It's also interesting to think that that Hawks character, the way he was made in 
into this empathetic St. Francis character yeah. is through an institution. The military, mm. right? His grandpa was in uh, the military. Yeah. His dad was in the military. So he joined the military from what youth. Then he convinced yeah. his son to join a war that had no meaning, Afghanistan. Oh, man. Yeah. And so he crazy. got killed and his wife left him, you know, and he turned into this man he was now. There's no way he was that person, though, before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The trauma of the first institution that drew him to this next one. And then it was the trauma of the second institution finding out that the religion was getting funded by these freaking corporate hacks, you know, um, that really blew up the rest of his life. Right. You know. uh, But the institutions hold the resources. too, is that I actually found empathy because of the trauma of a religious institution having to leave that. Mm, Yeah. And how fucked up their ideals are about punishment and abuse, all this stuff, you know? Yeah. And then now I'm in the college institution, academia, right? So we'll see. Hopefully I don't turn out first reformed with barbed wire wrapped around. But I found out some some sketchy stuff about, you know, academia too. It's just, you know, and like, yeah. How are you going to process that information? How are you going to, you know, respond yeah. to it? Yeah. How do, how do we comport ourselves in a world that's actively shitting itself? Right, right. And that's an actual question, not rhetorical. I mean, like, you know, for, for you watching this movie, reflecting on environmental issues, um, in, institutions, all that sort of stuff. Um, how do you respond? You know, do you become a extreme activists do you um try to erase yourself from history do you just keep going about your day and you know just try and ignore it i don't know why this is making me think of our discussion years ago in albuquerque about resolution right how do we get Mm. how do we get to equal resolution well it's first through uncomfortability right being uncomfortable. Wait, what do you mean by equal resolution? How do we come to a resolution with oh, okay. anything in our life, essentially? Yeah. Well, it starts off by first feeling uncomfortable. Then yeah. you have to take action, and then you find resolution. Sort of like taking a shit. <laughs> Your stomach <laughs> hurts. You're like, right. oh, I got to go use the bathroom. Boom, you're uncomfortable. Then you got to go to the bathroom. You take action. You go to the bathroom, yeah. and then you have resolution. You feel better, right? But right, metaphorically right. speaking, this happens in our lives too. When we have sure trauma, when we have stress, when we, you know, when we have feel these feelings of anxiety, all this stuff. Well, that's uncomfortability first. So next, we got to take action in order to find some sort of resolution, right? Yeah. But it's the way in which that you purge that thing from your body that 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 equals the result of the resolution what is right how 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 satisfying was that you know how how what was the action that was taken in order to get to said solved resolution and it's not always through violent means through you know and sometimes it is by standing up and saying something and not being quiet you know whatever it is but Right. The only way in which to find some sort of resolution is through some sort of action. And I think we see a radical version of that in First Reform, too. 
he starts feeling extremely uncomfortable. He's sick, cancerous, alcoholic, right? Yeah. Um, the decay of his body is reflective of, of the decay body. of the world, right? So he needs to take action. He needs to take this metaphorical dooski, right? So he finds yeah. this thing, just like you're saying too, like had some found something to latch on and empathy and the suicidal tendency onto, which was environmental change. Yeah. And his, unfortunately, his action in order to find a resolution was, you know, a freaking suicide bomb vest. So, you know. Right. Man. Well, yeah, and I guess what saved him at the end was um, love, right? I mean, it's cheesy, but like he, he didn't give a fuck about anyone else in that in that church because all he saw were institutionalized beings he saw robots he didn't see human beings right and then but in in uh that woman i forget the character's name he saw a human being you know because of intimacy because touch that was the lying on top of her and breathing breathing together like i was doing with the freaking cricket you know it's like if if you can breathe together intimately with another person an animal people do it with their dogs all the time right you hang out with your dog and you know that's why we love our dogs so much that's why hagrid's so awesome you know right, you can right. just like feel oh, this yeah. Hagrid always breathe each other's air yeah yeah exactly yeah you're breathing the same air and and i mean con conspire meaning like conspiracy conspire literally means to breathe together there, you know so to kind of take um, that word away from the context of conspiracy theorists sure. um you know it's like con conspiring you're you're conspiring with someone you're breathing right. with someone so that's what saved him ultimately and i mean right now talk about like social collapse i mean part of part of the violence we're seeing and school shooters all stuff like that i mean part of that is like these very isolated misdirected young men who are just like so fucked and so lost and have no i mean i don't know these guys i'm sure there's a lot of mental health issues going on too that are just like no no social condition could solve you know there's some dark shit going on there too yeah, yeah. but like but i think the lack of um social collective well-being creates an environment where these figures are just like isolated and radicalized you know i mean that was the story of the activist in first reformed right i mean he was isolated had no prospects he lives in upstate new york and like the only thing he can do is work at freaking home depot and then right so he's like i don't fucking care because i have no friends and just work at Home Depot all day. So of course I'm going to latch on to, to some, some sort of radical ideology, you know? I, I, I like where you were going early on in that, that thought too. Then, then I lost it. And then you lost it. You totally <laughs> <laughs> the rest of it was trash. No, just kidding. No, I agree with it. Um, But I liked too where you're going with the, uh... <laughs> oh man, that threw me off. That's a good one. Um. Oh, the positivity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the like breathing. So perhaps it yeah. wasn't just a Hollywood ending after all, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. There, it there was something to be said, especially in our current generation. Okay, this came out what twenty eighteen, written twenty seventeen. Yeah. 
there was also an epidemic, the loneliness epidemic, right? During oh yeah time. yeah and 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 it it wasn't just the environment mental that there was no turning back after 2015 it was also society and relationships and all this shit right yeah but really <clears throat> we have all turned into the boyfriend that wants to kill the offspring yeah. avoid the grief and kill ourselves and do something toxic like strap ourselves to a freaking car bomb right but what we should be doing is actually what ethan hawk was doing the empathetic person i mean and we think about back to the analogy man we've been (laughs) talking about his freaking bathroom analogy i think because of the the sopranos when he says he goes (laughs) like taking the shit but really, let's think about it as like eating, you know, getting hungry, go eat, action, you know, uncomfortability, action equals resolution. For him, he, his actions were through her. Every time she texted, mm-hmm. he would show up. Every time she needed mm-hmm. to call, he was there. Every yeah. time they interacted, he wasn't creepy, nothing. He was cool with her, freaking understanding, empathetic empathetic with their husband everything yeah. uh, <clears throat> and really what we should be holding on to is not these huge fears in this world right mm. and and not the uncertainty of the future as ethan hawk says it right yeah. without despair we live in a world without hope that's what ethan says right right I yeah love that line that's we a good line. Hope without despair. Of course, it all goes back to the dark crystal, you know, the fear. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <is> the <laughs> But really, though, right? We need mm. and uh, kind of losing my train of thought here. But but I think uh, I think you know where I'm going with that. Oh yes, yes. With the uh, we need to focus on things that are important, like the love of each other, the love of sure. the the love and feeling empathy towards this person and a new life yeah. you know being able to breathe and conspire together and go universe yeah. trip and traveling through the stars together you know right that's what's worth living and that <sighs> life of hope with despair right living yeah. together two and one the one will be one yeah yeah the crystal beautiful beautifully said love that crystal <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm the emperor. <laughs> I am the emperor. <laughs> but bro, all right, look. Okay, like here, here's. Give me a second to like gather my thoughts. All right, so we have basic needs, right? As human beings, we have basic needs, social needs, right? We need to be part of a village, right? That's that's just a basic need that, that that's not something that's not like a privilege or something to be taken for granted we need to be part of a community need to be part of a village if, yeah. if i'm in the woods and i break an ankle and i'm by myself a hundred thousand years ago i'm fucked right game over i lost if i break my ankle and i'm hanging out with 10 other people there's a good chance i'll be okay right you know that's the difference right between our our survival and our and our decay so we need that that village, that sense of community, right? We need to conspire. Um, 
So actually, let me stick with that, you know, that that basic need. Now we live in a moment where that basic need is becoming more and more scarce, right? So people are on the fritz, people are losing it. Anxiety's up, depression is up. Um, people are becoming more easily radicalized. And because we don't have a real life concrete village on which to rely and on which to contribute our skills, we look for other communities, you know, and those communities for whatever reason end up becoming, you know, political, radicalized, all these sort of things, fear-based communities, um, all of that online communities where you're not literally breathing together. You're, you know, uh, talking to people on Reddit and getting pissed off together or something like that, you know, Um, which is all this like desperate attempt to feel something with someone, you know, in the loneliness of your own space. Right. So so I think that's part of I, I guess that's just sort of like that part of the world's ills right now, loneliness epidemic, all that stuff. We're not connected with one another. We're not connected with the natural environments in which we evolved over a hundred thousand years, right? So everyone's minds totally on the fritz, you know. Um, I think all people, but I'm thinking men in particular, just because that's sort of like within the context of the movie and then also my own life. I think men need to feel like we're contributing something. We need to feel like we're offering something to the village, right? I can't just work at fucking Home Depot bringing home a few bucks and that's okay. You know, it's like, no, I need to contribute something. I need to like, in order to feel good, I need to like build a house. I need to go hunt for something. I need to like write a song and share that with the community, right? Right. Um, contribute something but since the the frillet the village is fragmented right now there's no village to contribute to so then you have all these young men especially who want to be heroes you know want to contribute but can't so then that energy gets misdirected and redirected towards very violent urges right I like this a lot. I like this a lot. This makes me think of a lot of stuff, right? Yeah, hell yeah. So I'm almost almost done. So yeah, yeah, go ahead. So like, what? What do we do with that? How do we how do we reinstate the village? Because we do have that potential. It's in us. It's who we are to live in these adorable fucking studio ghibli forest villages together where everyone has something to offer and we feel good about that and then sure some people are assholes but you can also just like kind of laugh about it with your friends whatever you know like right where is that like how do we how do we do that and i guess that's why all like you know hippie people back in the day were trying to build communes and shit like that but that was kind of like weird and dumb it became cultish and it's like how how do we reinstate the village which is an inch, man. That's, I think you just prescribed a big problem in the world right there, you know? Right. And maybe and that back, back to the issue of the no sense, no non tribalism, right? Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how do we reinstate the village? And, and side note, I was watching an episode of uh, Bourdain the other night where he went to, um, um, African uh, New Orleans in 2006, I think. So like a year after the hurricane, right? Okay. So people are still like, you know, it's it's still pretty yeah. down and out. Yeah. Do you see that episode? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, but what I found inspiring was all the people in New Orleans, like post post flood, 
the remaining people, because a lot of people left, there was this deep sense of camaraderie and this sense of, of purpose and this sense of joy that came with the purpose and the camaraderie. They were like, yeah, our situation's fucked up, but I feel good because I'm, I have a reason. I'm, I'm trying to rebuild something. I'm, I'm living for not just myself, but the people and community around me. And you can see a sense of joy among these people in post Katrina, New Orleans, right. or a sense of purpose. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, it does, it does that need to be our purpose for the 21st century reinstate the village. Like that's, that's what we need to contribute. That's where we're going to find our meaning. And how do we unite without mass trauma, a collective trauma like 9 11 mm. or Katrina? Yeah. 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 We've talked about that. Before. And yeah. now our collected trauma has been commercialized, commercial, commercialized like COVID, right? Yeah. Thus, not having a moral ground, but think about this. We got a new industrial complex, the traumatic industrial complex, where we are now uh, uh, profiting off the trauma of of the American mind. You know. Oh God! Yeah, that's wild. Uh, What'd you call it? (laughs) Wait, what'd you call it? The the. the traumatic trauma and industrial complex complex or traumatic industrial complex either one of those would be good Ah, so fucked up that's that's so it's true though it's spot on yeah yeah um so the fragmented village too that's interesting as well because we also have this issue on an interpersonal level and that's why he was saved by this girl you know beautiful awesome when even when she said he has no friends and you know no community he's like well do you support him and she's like yeah i do and he's like well trust me that's a lot you know yeah there's that connection but that we lose that in this society it's happened to me even when we're in a healthy relationship yeah we will lose it because of the fears and the anxieties and the fucked upness of this world and we lose that closeness yeah. And it does go back to even the hunter-gatherer things where, where we served a role to each other and we love, you know, it was a real sense of empathetic love and union, right? Essentially a union that is made. And how do we, again, unionize, unionize with each other, right? Not only with the village, but within ourselves and within dating and stuff. Because right now through Tinder, through hinge bumble grind yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call it we're so fragmented from a complete totally. ship. there's no longer yeah. a ship that we can sail on right Everybody's right, on right. A fucking raft now yeah yeah there's yes find the shoreline and we yeah can't because we can't break the fucking tide because we don't have a boat big enough anymore so we're stranded out at sea Fuck it. Wow. Great metaphor. That was fucking <laughs> cool. Yeah. We're, we're all on little rafts. We're not on the ship and we can't break over the waves, the tide, because we're on these fragmented rafts rather than a big old beautiful ship. You know? Right. Right. Let me hit oh. you with a question and then I want to, I'm going to grab some water and use the bathroom real quick. Yeah, sure. Take a quick five minute break. Um, <clears throat> What are your thoughts this is going back to last week. Yeah. After listening to the episode again, and we're talking about the AI girlfriend, right? 
Oh, God. Yeah. And artificial intelligence. And even this, because we're still even safer now with the village, right? You're talking about the broken ankle, even health wise, mental health, trauma, whatever it is, a community, people with the community and a tribe have far less trauma than those yeah. who not. Totally. Traumatizing to be alone, you know, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> at what point, though, does the AI get so smart in a, in a robot body that is so cosmetically, mm. you know, sound, whatever, humanoid, at what yeah. point does it then become a new species? Hmm. And the effects of being in love with someone, et cetera, or, you know, uh, just uh, bonding with someone, pre- unpredictable responses, right? That's essentially what we're looking for in partner, unpredictability and predictability and and uh, emotion and empathy and loyalty, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> at what point does the tech get so good that all those things are being fulfilled in uh in a in a uh bioconstructed space um or mechanically constructed body at what point does that then become not an not a infiltration or affliction on humanity but mm. a whole entire new species all on its own especially if this artificial intelligence can feel fear pain of right yeah yeah is is there a point at which the the android because at that point it wouldn't even be just ai it would be a full android right like right right you know blade runner status um yeah yeah and at what point does the 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 loss of the communal space the fragmentation of the village yeah do these parts actually, instead of separating us now, begin to reconnect us back to each other through some sort of webbing of right. cultural experience with a third? Right. You know? Yeah, it's certainly possible. So my mind goes in a couple different directions with that. So one, um, okay, Genesis Peorage has, has a line about um, when you're tinkering you break the watch apart so that you can learn all the pieces and then put it back together. So in the postmodern age, when they were doing their thing and making their art, um, postmodernism was about breaking the watch apart. Right. 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 So now in whatever era we're in, whatever you want to call it, metamodernism, post postmodern, whatever. Um, now the goal is, okay, we've broken the watch apart. How do we put it back together? Reality is so slippery. It's, it's right. reality has broke. There's no consensus reality anymore. Postmodernism was all about the uh, the breaking down of grand narratives, right? Now we, we went beyond breaking down grand narratives and now we just don't have any consensus reality at all, right? So how do we, how do we put the watch back together? Right. Um, can, can AI, can androids be part of that? Yeah. Sure. Why not? You know, maybe that would be really, really cool. Um, I think that'd be fascinating, you know, right. 
could aliens be part of that? Sure, why not? I mean, maybe we're stepping into this like new hyper diversified hyper dimension where right, right. where we do get reintegrated in this kind of uh, new new metro space. You know, right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> the new metro and the um, new metro space is going to be a podcast. So. I, I also <laughs> think though, as as long as as long as um, capitalism is driving it. I, I fucking hate talking about capitalism because everyone sounds like a broken record every time you say it. But it's like, but I mean, capitalism thrives on the illusion of scarcity, right? I mean, it it, it convinces people that something is scarce and then sells it back to them. It's done that with everything from uh, from from plants to to water to to space to time to social interaction. You know, now we're seeing we're seeing capitalism scarcify so socializing and uh scarcify the village and try and sell the village back to us compartmentalized but then again putting back that watch back together <clears throat> how can capitalism work i was thinking about this driving the other day how can capitalism work in a healthy sense right what and i was thinking well we don't humans the only thing it capitalizing on something Money is not the only thing that humans capitalize on, right? It's also health. It's also love. It's also family. It's also yeah. having a home, you know, it's, it's about space and time and, you know, a myriad of things and not just money. At what point can we then invert a futuristic capitalism, capitalism 2.0, capitalism Z? Yeah. How can we turn that into not capitalizing on money, but capitalizing on healthcare, capitalizing yeah. on, you know, the future of the environment and stopping climate change and global warming, right? Because there's yeah. a point in which we're going to need a systemic, a, a system where we can accomplish larger goals. Yeah. And why not capitalism, right? Look sure. at billionaires. If we can take the success of a, an Elon Musk and metaphorically turn that success into something that was for the environment, right? That was going to save, right. that was going to cure lung cancer or something like that. Well, shit, man, sounds like a pretty good deal to me, you know? Sure. And, who, who knows, man, I, you know, maybe that would be beautiful because it's like, I mean, we have the resources to do literally everything. I mean, like we we know what we need to do, you know, environmentally. We know what we need to do with homelessness. We know what we need to do with all of these things. Right. I mean, there's so many smart people, sociologists, like every, you know, whatever, environmental scientists. There's so many really smart people working in every area that you can think of plus a bunch that you can't think of and we have ideas we have we know what to do why aren't we doing it you know maybe it's um because capitalism maybe it's just the population's too big you know it's kind of hard to uh you know it's hard to galvanize you know we're in a country of 330 million it's hard to galvanize 330 million people you know on on get them all on the same page um you know so will we make that turn 
maybe i mean people do it in their own lives right so maybe we could do it as a society i mean constantly you hear stories of people who you know were really really in the gutters and then turn their lives around they they hit rock bottom right to so to speak and then and then end up pushing off that that hard bottom and rising back up i mean that does happen to individuals so why can't it happen to a society Unfortunately, I think the only way it's going to happen is through back to Bourdain, you know, a mass trauma event. Mm. Um, yeah. Like it just the aliens, bro. so damn hot that we can't live on the, you know, a lot of people are having to move underground and stuff. Just like we got, we have to stop. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Yo, in this summer, I, hottest I, summer on record, this is just the beginning. Oh, they said enjoy it. It's going to be the coolest summer of your lifetime. That's what I heard the other day on the news. Crazy, bro, because it's so hot. I can't even take it. I watched uh, Oppenheimer this week. Oh, how was it? Dude, it's incredible. Yeah, you I got to see, see it. it in IMAX. You must, because Nolan oh, yeah? in IMAX and the sound. Okay. You do watch it in IMAX. You'll be like, oh, word. I'm so glad I watched it in IMAX. It's Hell like, yeah. Yeah. But just Jillian Murphy, the story too of the horror of of the atomic bomb and yeah. how it was made, what went down in Japan, like the extent of the hydrogen bombs now and stuff like that. That oh, literally, he Oppenheimer is like quoted as has a famous quote from he quotes from some you know uh, Sanskrit Bhagavad Gita, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What is the quote? Do you know the quote? Just like yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I actually, just started reading. We talked about this, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he goes, "I am death, the destroyer of worlds." Yeah, which like wh- what fucking psychopath <laughs> creates a bomb that could kill millions and then and then said like looks in the mirror and says, "I am death, the destroyer of. I am become death, the destroyer of worlds." Like who? Like. Did the demon take him? Did the same demon that started the Inquisitions take over? Must have been him, bro. And listen, man, the the, the <laughs> genius, you know, <laughs> smart guy. Me yeah, and sure. Einstein and everybody, you know, and just like, I don't know, it's funny, me and Savannah, we got into we like a little bit of a discussion, argument about like. Because my argument is he was just a manager, like a really good, smart manager of a bunch of scientists. Yes, oh, the brilliant man, obviously. Sure. Um, um, but he didn't like create the 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 subline of physics that they use, all that stuff, you know. He mm-hmm. wasn't the once in a thousand year genius, the Einstein, the the Galileo, you know. Yeah, that's really hard. <laughs> Like yeah. you have to do something that like full creation, like the Germans were actually the ones that were first, like broke the news of splitting the atom. And then they actually made it to get there and like perfected yeah. it. Yeah. So a genius, obviously a doctor, yeah. obviously, but you know, the once in a thousand year, um, you know, just, you know, genius prodigy, whatever you want to call it. I would would say no, but also uh, he was the Steve Jobs. Yeah, the power that he had and the the way that he was able to manage and get that project done. And then it's wild too the way his you know they would call him a communist. 
after the bomb, the American government tried banishing and tarnishing his name, you know, and just like all kinds of terrible shit they did to that, that dude. But also he lived in a world of despair and like, yeah. And, uh, and guilt, you know, blood on his hands, the scene with the president Truman and him, that's the best scene in the world. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But uh, I won't give away too much. I mean, it's it's public knowledge. It's one of those his- historical movies, so you know what happens. But it's just yeah, yeah. a watch, you know? Yeah, no, I gotta see it. But a couple of things come to mind. Uh, pee break to come back. Yeah, let's do it. I need to grab some drinks. Okay, cool. sidebar legends of war got uh some listeners in switzerland the other day yeah and i was like cool so today i i released a a swiss you know general from the napoleonic (laughs) um (laughs) actually the first president of the red cross he created the red cross um interesting but crazy the next day i'm now three percent of my listeners are in Sweden. So whoever's in Sweden must be talking. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then just now I got a listener from the UK. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Hell yeah. I like that podcast, man. It, it brings me feelings of nostalgia. Remember growing up on the History Channel? I'm yeah. Sure you yeah. go to like John's house and just like oh, yeah. him standing in front of the TV watching like some like. <laughs> historical documentary on chat or something so good oh so funny i love nostalgia yeah nostalgia is (laughs) nice what was our topic all right we were talking about oppenheimer but two things two things came to mind okay so so one okay we were talking about um postmodernism as taking the watch apart right okay the the atom was split really at at the beginnings of uh the postmodern era right right? so the atom is the basic building block of matter of all reality okay yeah we took that and broke it in half (laughs) yeah and the result is a nuclear bomb. Right. What the fuck, right? I mean, that's... Most people that ever died in, in a short amount of time period ever. And, it, like, I yeah. can't remember within, like, a 
The, the first day was 110,000 people died from the blast. Boom, dead. Holy it's shit. like almost yeah. instantaneously. And then another 110,000. 110,000? Yeah. So, okay. And then uh, the, the next first, one was the another. First, the first blast on on Hiroshima was 70,000. And then they dropped at the same moment on Nagasaki. Uh, there was like 30,000 or something like that in Nagasaki. Yeah. So it was like, well, or 20,000, something. It came out to 110,000 people died immediately. Boom, blasted. Holy they said shit. that the, the pictures they're showing, just people that were wearing striped shirts had stripes burnt into their skin. And what's wild, I've done research on it when we had to, re- were, were you in that class of Scarlet where we read Hiroshima, that novel? No. It's so good. So sad. Um, it's taken from the Japanese perspective of when the bomb hits and you know the disaster and all that shit. And just uh, what happens is the fucking air lights on fire, so you can't when you breathe, you're breathing in fire, and your skin yeah. just is all your skin peels off everything instantaneously because the fucking air starts on fire. Yeah you know 10 story plume in the air fire freaking it's it's uh it's wild um to go back to what you're saying though is the is the atom bomb was actually very inherently modern and the modern period is fucked up Mm. (laughs) the Mm. modern period was was bleak they're known as like the worst parents in 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 like lots of generations Christ, they yeah. are uh, the lost generation, World War One, World War Two. You know these people were fucked from trauma. Uh, the economy was fucked. Everything was fucked back then. Yeah. Um, and they split the atom, so they break the watch, which then, like what you're saying, literally splits the essence of 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 living of being exactly yeah you start to see the responds the postmodern period right exactly yeah you start to see the disintegration of everything right like literally disintegrate as in everything fucking crumbling you know everyone's skin on fire but then also like disintegrate it becomes separate it becomes segregated like reality itself split right you know and then you start to see you know uh, a larger gap between younger generations and older generations you know widening gaps um well i guess not everywhere in in life you know but i mean you also see like schools get integrated and stuff like that but but you see i think you see a lot of you know separation occur thereafter yeah um yeah and and it makes me think of plato actually because last year i read plato's republic which um so fucking good you know it's like of course it is people have been reading it for 2500 years right right um but he has i mean his whole thing is that like the the society and the individual are microcosm and macrocosm right the state of the individual is reflective of the society the state of the society is reflective of the individual and he says what's most important is a level of integration and he goes what that means is at the individual level integration of self you know um so you're healthy you're balanced mental health um you're living within a community all these things all all of your inner parts 
you know, disparate parts. When we're feeling anxious, those parts are at odds, you know, and we're constantly second guessing ourselves. When we're feeling healthy, all of those inner parts are integrated within themselves, right? So it goes the integrated self maps onto the integrated society. And that's what the Republic is. It's, it's, it's top down, bottom up, everything just very, very well aligned, integrated self, integrated society, everything almost like a, almost like the healthy version of uh, Foucault's power web, you know? Right. And um, so then you start, you know, you take the atom and then you split it and then you disintegrate everything. Everything starts to split and crumble and break. You know, the social fabric itself starts to tear because, tear because the uh, fabric of reality has been torn. That's uh, That's fascinating. I like to the healthy net. Yeah, yeah. How how does that work? Because really, I mean, even if you think about uh, you know uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park, life uh, final day. Uh, <laughs> that is the way of nature, though. Life will find a way, you know. And yeah, yeah. something's taken away. Well, then it's compensated with with something even you know good as well and it mm, overcompensated mm. And, and becomes something even stronger and you could even look at darwinism sort of as that analogy of uh of a survival of the fittest you know the scars on the on the history of existence on our planet yeah you know, pulling away and how we regrow all that stuff so <clears throat> um how does that healthy net network? I would like to write that book. You know, sure. How yeah. does it work mentally through our dealing with trauma, dealing with anxiety, depression, all that stuff? You know, uh, yeah. how do we reintegrate? And perhaps going back to first reformed, it's through manifestations of empathy, of love, right. of uh, of self love. You know, love. yeah yeah whatever it may be yeah right exactly because it is a web right i mean and that and that's what's interesting in first reformed right i mean his his cancer you know his 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 bodily decay is reflective of the global decay you know it's all everything's interconnected right i mean if i'm living in a if if i'm fucking doing shitty things to the water to the water source in my in my town you know i'm gonna then drink that in and it's gonna fuck up my body you know um you know everything's interconnected so i don't know yeah how do you start to heal the web what's the healthy how do you how do you yeah so i i mean okay i mean one one line that i like is uh jack cornfield he's like a um um buddha spiritual teacher kind of guy and he says um tend to the part of the garden that you can reach you know everyone's got their thing right i mean i'm not it's not my duty to go i don't know join the military and heal whatever is going on in the military that's not what my world i'm that's not a part of the garden i'm i'm anywhere near right. you know it's not my duty to go become president and try and solve this stuff you know from the from the seat of the president that's not my role that's not my karma that's not the part of the garden i can reach you know so what what part of the garden can I, as an individual, reach? And well, first and foremost, myself. You know, you know, just 
taking care of myself, you know, whatever that means, right. you know, getting, doing whatever I need to do to take care of my mental health, my physical health, whatever. Um, which then, you know, makes me capable, more capable of responding to the people around me. Right. Um, you know, so right now, you know, I live in Denver. I don't freaking know anyone other than Ashley, you know, and like, so that means showing up right now, you know, for Ashley and being, you know, a good, good partner. Right. Um, and that's the weird thing. Cause right now it kind of stops there. You know, I mean, I, I talk to plenty of people on the phone, you know, um, right. My sister was going through a thing, talked to her on the phone the other day and was there for as best I can over the phone, you know, but like, and but it's work that does fulfill. Yeah. It does fulfill it. Works, sure. you know, some, somewhat of a scent, but that's also kind of like eating appetizers at all times. Ashley, yeah. Yeah. Be yeah. there for Ashley as a good partner you got to be there for yourself right right and part of being there for yourself is finding some sort of really some sort of social network out there right yeah exactly uh, i just got here it's been a couple well, of months it's, so it's yeah, not like urgent don't beat you yourself know? up or anything right? yeah. Yeah, yeah but um but uh yeah i think it it, it is good though because right now you're fine you have ash you guys are working on things and you have your yeah. appetizers you're good but you know meeting some people and spanning out and having that community that tribalism like we're saying it's it's a yeah. happy thing to do not mm -hmm. only for yourself but for the relationship you know oh totally yeah exactly yeah we because we need the whole thing it's not you know we can't not one thing's gonna you know fix you everything want to be like the home depot guy with no friends right. just like yeah, exactly latching on to you know and next thing you know we'll be having podcasts about like <laughs> Given the amount of plastic that's made by metal or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> fucking Barbie, man. Fucking Barbie, ruining everything. <laughs> Bro, the, so the, the devil, man. Yeah. And it's like we all know those people too who are like hyperactivists and stuff. And like at some point, it's just like, bro, what are you projecting? Like, like your individual life is a mess, but then you're, you know, you're constantly upset about whatever's going on and, you know, fucking barbie and plastics and shit but then you're, you you have not shown up at all for you or your family you know and it is kind of interesting that part in that part in the diner when the guy is like why don't you look at yourself before you judge it start casting stones at other people and he's like so he shot himself after you counseled him you know? that was cold yeah that was that so was cold, cold. But then also there is that thing, especially within religion and within dogma in general, is is going back to like, you know, a Christian uh, uh, sense or story is the, he who he who is without blame cast the first stone. Right. And when you're judging people and judging all these things and you do this, you do that with, well, we forget to look in the mirror and realize that, you know, we have to address the personal first before we can really start yeah. casting stones at anybody. And really at the bottom line is, is nobody really has much justification to do that for any reason other than basic, pure, fundamental yeah. people. Like yeah. freaking uh, Hitler, you know, his the butcher of freaking Berlin, you know, whatever. Yeah. Bro, there's a good Jesus line. 
we talk we actually talk about jesus quite a lot on this podcast i know that's jared to jared to jesus <laughs> jesus listens to jared to jared for sure i actually just got a notification he got a listener from heaven weird must, oh fuck yeah dude one percent one percent of listeners that's that one percent from heaven fuck yeah fuck yeah but, um but there's a line where he says um he goes why don't you take the plank out of your eye before trying to take the splinter out of your brother's eye and it's like jesus is so brutal it's brutal and he says it like fucking sassy like that where he's just like why don't you <laughs> shut the fuck up for jesus was a metro but that's a metro disc right? that's a metro line bro metro jesus so metro <laughs> but it's, it's a legit line it's like check your own shit man check your right, ship right, before right. you try and you know roll up on someone else and start criticizing what's going on with you what's what's up in your life have you looked at your how you're conducting yourself have you looked at how you're treating people have you looked at all of that stuff you know yeah. but then there's so many and it's such a obvious kind of thing you know but then for some reason there's so many people constantly externalize their issues and then you know it's like i'm sitting here all pissed off about like you know what donald trump did the other day but then you know I was fucking like screaming at my kids or something. And it's like, <laughs> you know, right, right. Yeah. Just like, oh, well, uh, you know, really pissed about, you know, yeah. Like, like child abuse and, and trafficking, but yeah, I right. like completely neglect my daughter and leave her with like unstable people or something like that. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's such a weird thing, you know, and there's all the Freudian shit like, <clears throat> um, which is weird oh god go ahead what's the there? there's one freudian term where it's uh oh, i totally forgot it but it's like okay let's say like the example you just used someone who's constantly speaking out about um uh child abuse actually is like kind of abusive to their own kid what right. was forgot the term whatever anyway but yeah i know what you're talking about that yeah but, i can't think uh, of it as well yeah yeah. yeah but people have weird psychologies you know it's like how right. do you so so yeah i think it's just like figure out your own shit first and um basically a hypocrite yeah. <laughs> there's an actual yeah, yeah, term yeah, for, yeah, it, exactly. for it yeah. but you know essentially um um but that that's very common though right the right. it would jared from subway he was always doing like child charity work, you know, and like, right. Let's make foot long subs. Ooh, freaking, you know, Ohio, uh, creeper. And, uh, right. I forgot about that. dude. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I don't know, people use certain positions obviously for exploitation, but, uh, yeah. 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 I can't remember what my final point was going to be on that, but, yeah from subway creepy um <clears throat> i'm really stuck though i'm man like like during the pee break like man i'm really caught on this like how do you how okay if, if the new purpose is to put the watch back together if the new purpose is to um um rebuild the village right in the past it would have been just like you know do some hunting for the village do some uh build a house for the village now it's like no you know now it's build the village itself bring it back together um right. how do we do that because that sounds great that sounds cool i want to do that right how do we retribalize 
Yeah. How, yeah. Could I argue that we're doing it? Sure. Go for it. Maybe we are. God, it's hard to say though, man. Cause listen, I've been thinking a lot about what you're saying too. And, and tech is, can be evil. You know, we can also be used to rip each other apart. Yeah. But on the other hand though, man, I feel like a real sense of like, I don't know, community and tribe through like group messages Sending sure, each other sure. bills like this is a new various form of comedy group chats playing Fortnite every night. Like yeah. the other day with my friend, we're we're all playing Fortnite online video games. You know, we're all little tipsy, and I was like, "Shit, man, just move to Santa Fe. I wish we could like hang out every <laughs> day, man." Mark, yeah. he's like, "What do you mean, man? We do hang out every day, freaking Fortnite nice, every yeah. night. You know, just like, right." And it's true. We're basically just hanging out in the living room, you know, with the headsets, right, right. And laughing, conversating, joking. We're interacting in a game, you know, playing. It's essentially like we went to in 2012, we went to Tulum and saw the Mayan ruins. And yeah. the coolest parts of one of the temples is in the back where was this like first form of basketball ever made, ever discovered oh, sick. Yeah. You know, in like human history. And there are these cool ring hoops like on the side of the temple. And right. would make these round balls of different sizes. And, you know, the bigger the ball, the harder it was to get through the stone hoop. And uh, <laughs> this crazy, like, soccer running game, you know. But it, yeah. really what it comes funnily back down to is what is a tribe? We must first discover what a tribe mm. is before we can uh, go back to it. Because if we yeah. don't know what it is, there's nothing to go back to. A tribe is is fundamentally, you know, uh, a community. Yeah, it's communication, it's brotherhood, it's um, it's uh, protection, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Can we make a list? Yeah. So an image comes to mind. Okay. So I was in a uh, art gallery in Taos, and I saw this painting, really cool painting of um, it was like a uh. I don't know, like a giant gathering, you know, uh, a thousand years ago, right? Always like Native American people wearing like, you know, their cool ass outfits and stuff, just like in this big field, essentially, you know, nice. very, very like Southwest New Mexico kind of painting. Yeah. And, um, and I'm looking at it and, and I don't mean this to be like over romanticizing the past or over romanticizing like indigenous people. I mean, I think this is just like a, romanticizing community it could have been you know an image of anyone during any time but but seeing this image of all of these people together where you know with similar dress um wearing kind of the same stuff and like you know like okay let's say i'm there right my my cloak was was sewn by you know matilda over there you know and like so it's like we're homies like she made my cloak so cool like oh you want one too go talk to matilda dude it's so sick right, right um john made my fucking my shoes you know um the flute that i'm playing you know my brother made you know whatever it's like all of the stuff you know all of the everything i'm wearing everything i'm using everything i'm everything can be traced back to to an individual who traded gifted to me whatever and then of course people are going to be carrying and wearing whatever i've contributed 
you know? Right. And that, and I think that's the web, right? That's, that's the feeling. Um, and looking at this painting, I, I had, you know, an, an emotional reaction to it. I was like, wow, that seems really beautiful. Not to over romanticize, you know, we've talked about history in the past has been fucked up too. Right. But like, but I think that if we're talking in terms of the village, that seemed to be the, a, a culture, right? A, a general sense of culture. Well, and it's not an exoticization, which is something that's toxic. Right. It's more of a, of a, you know, uh, an expression of respect and and uh, an example that we would want to follow, right? It goes right. back to uh, Sebastian Younger's work with the with the Navajo mm -hmm. runners, sprinters, you know, um, professional athletes. They mm -hmm. uh, they were so good in the games because they had a sense of, of tribe, right? And when mm -hmm. Native American soldiers came back from Vietnam, the majority of them had no PTSD because yeah. they came back to a sense of uh, tribalism and a tribe. And that yeah. then a, a great example to look back to what's, you know, tribe, it's native. It's, it's not exactly North yeah North American. It's South American. It's indigenous European cultures as well. Right. 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 Um, they had, they lived on similar basis of exactly what you're saying. Boom. Legends of war back going to Jack Crawford. Right. Right. Ta ta teaches us about Genghis Khan and and how the Silk Road flourished under the Mongols. Yeah. Because of a connecting network, a, a large, gigantic tribe, essentially, that he built. And it's interesting, too, because every time he would sack and kill everybody in a village, he would yeah. always uh, save the engineers, the women and the artists and the poets and like oh. scholars. So he yeah. always wanted to continue like, you know, the, the progression of, of human ability, knowledge wow. and the expression of art and trade. Right. That's so, yeah. Wow. That, I mean, that's a deep level of wisdom, right? I mean, that's saying like, like, listen, there's, this is business it's not personal like we need to go sack your village but it's, it's not personal we're not trying to genocide you whatever it's like you know we we know that you have good things to offer we just also need your resources so we're gonna fuck you over right right not good but also we're not gonna try and destroy your culture and destroy sure. absolutely everything because there's something to be integrated that we can learn from you and i respect that exactly. that's weird that's a different yeah. mindset for sure and apparently the mongolian uh cultural tradition was to be very protective of who they were right and if they were ever challenged they would fight back you know with violence that that's who they were they were a nomadic culture whatever um <clears throat> but that being said they were highly respective of other religions of other you know forms of worship like i yeah. said artwork you know engineering etc yes they were savage you know brutal they killed yeah. so many people and you know yeah yeah like 50 percent of the population has genghis khan blood in them you know so like so it, fucked it's, up. <laughs> it's wild you know atrocities yeah, but also yeah. you know going back to when the only thing we had was tribe it's interesting yeah. to see a larger nation run on those fundamentals of a large 
um, social network of trade, right. of 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 worship, of artwork, poetry, scholarship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in integration, right? I mean, again, integration with the people around you, with the culture that you're all collectively creating, and the land too, right? I mean, you know, you look at native cultures here, and it was like, um, you know, the the buffalo, for example, is so well respected because it was like, this is part of this is life sustaining, right? I mean, this is part of who we are and how we live, you know. So we're consuming this thing, hunting it, but also honoring it, you know, wearing it, you know, its furs in a in a dignified manner and all this sort of stuff, you know. This all goes back to episode one, freaking dances with wolves yeah Yeah, we're back in dances with wolves (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's crazy that thing i sent you that the last samurai is based on a real french guy oh that's hilarious with the shoguns in the 17 yeah so dave Dave Chappelle's joke about it doesn't work anymore (laughs) (laughs) what was it oh right right well i can't say yeah yeah (laughs) that that was hilarious (laughs) oh man it's so good oh man it's so funny um, have Tom Hanks play the last black dude on it. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Um, so good. So funny. Uh, yeah. Okay, so Oppenheimer. Yeah. It was an episode or a day me and you were hanging out and I was telling you like, you know what I'm really afraid of, man? What really like freaks me out is the universe that we live out in space, you know? Yeah. Uh, interstellar. There's like the fourth dimension out there. There's all kinds of weird stuff. Alien. Oh, yeah. Sun, dark matter. Oh, it's fucked up. We really yeah. don't know what's happening out there. And we're out here in this wild globe trying to yeah. keep a sense of consciousness that that our brain can can comprehend or else our heads will explode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's wild because it, Oppenheimer Oh man, you know, maybe smoke too big of a joint before, but it was freaking so loud and crazy. But he has like visions of the fourth dimension, you know, that's like been a documented oh. thing about him. That shut the fuck up. That's real. Yeah. When he used to when he went to school in Europe to study under like this these brilliant physicists, he was he's like in the movies, like I was very troubled. Like I was about homesick and I used to have visions, crazy visions of a fourth dimension. And the way Christopher Nolan does it, just like it's so loud, like showing this fourth dimension, it was like giving me trauma because I swear I've had like fears like that. I was trying to explain this to Gavin and Savannah. Just like, <laughs> this is what I was talking about with the planet shit. Like, oh fuck. There's this one time when I was younger, high school days or something, I got like you know like way too high with the friend and we're like ditching school and driving around and he's jamming the Ramo- the ramones and he's like romping his car somewhere and like it was weird i was like the sound of the music was like the fourth dimension it was like coming into my ears in this really weird way it just like yeah it, it, it wasn't i it wasn't normal it wasn't real sort of thing and it it scared the shit out of me you know and like i had to like i went to sleep in the cafeteria that day when we got back to high school and, like, <laughs> <laughs> i had a really weird few days after that weird it have just been high but listen that's also even thinking about it watching that oppenheimer like 
there is something out there and savannah was telling me she's like hey maybe it's because you're you know sort of like oppenheimer brain where you can actually tap into and have more awareness yeah that other world that's out there and it's fucking scary you know (laughs) yeah yeah well look man like you know if if it were thousand years ago doesn't matter what part of the world doesn't even matter because every single part of the world had their shaman thing spiritual leader thing right, going on right you and i we live in fucking whatever netherlands thousand years ago part of this like celtic tribe or something right probably be in that class you know probably be in probably. the because <laughs> think about it like all right, because all right, you and I were all right. Let's say we're te- we're teenagers, right? And we're hanging out in in this tribe, right? In this tribal space, and we're hanging out, like collecting stories and reading poems and talking about dreams. And then you're like, "Yeah, I had this like fucking vision thing happen, and I'm not sure what it was." There would have been support for that, and even appreciation of it, right? Right, right. Maybe at least in the picture that I'm painting of it, right? So then you'd have some sort of adults who would be like, "Oh, that okay? These these kids, that's their talent. That's what that's perhaps what they have to share. Let's go have them talk with the uh, the shaman priest, and you know, let you know assess it, see if there's some training that can be done, and that's what they'll contribute." to the to the village right exactly and same thing with everyone though and then you have some other kid who's like oh man that kid's like really good at sports really strong great leadership skills we should we should set him up we set him up with the general the warrior general and like get that kid a scholarship to become the tribal leader whatever (laughs) you know like just that like 10 bananas for 10 years if (laughs) you join the military um but seriously like uh and you think about it back to the tribal days no matter yeah. where it was on the planet or what the race whatever yeah um there were there was a probably a system on which you could take a path within the village just yeah. like you're saying you could be the hunter or was still have the role of guiding the hunters or yeah. coming to the school with the elders and being a exactly. philosopher and the exactly. teller and the freaking person you see the fourth dimension clearly me and you would be the scholars of going to the really? you know the citadel and right. uh, seeing the fourth dimension you know trying to exactly teach about there, what's gonna happen with the white man takes over right so. yeah there's a clear established path right and yeah. that's what we're lacking now which i think again is why young men in particular but everyone are fucking losing it because there's no path what the fuck do we do lost i'm confused right. you know how do i my my skills my skill set isn't being uh seen at all if anything you know oh man you had some fourth dimensional visions well uh get fucked up man you should talk medicate you let's medicate that motherfucker by vance you know yeah yeah or you know that's the that's the most extreme case or at the very least like oh you're artistic and sensitive right what are you metro you know (laughs) (laughs) you could be an incel yeah 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 fucking loser like you know yeah which is funny too that metro can also be like hyper masculine like guys yeah. that drive like Corvette, or like we'll drive like, oh, tight, like yeah. a V6 Mustang and like, yeah, 
hey, his, hey but but history's always been fucked up. I was I was learning about um some Renaissance painters, you know, like 1500s Italy. Like man, those guys were fucked up. Yeah, like yeah. like a couple of them, like the student oh, yeah, yeah. they like killed people. And so they were killing people, having sex with prostitutes. They were fucking gangsters. They were like doing crazy shit. If it was if it was like the 1990s, they would have been selling crack. You know, it's like these Renaissance painters were like fucking crazy. That's what, I was, that's what we were saying in like episode three. I was like, Dion's work, man, if he grew up in like, you know, Renaissance days, <laughs> he'd be eating grapes and just sentenced three people to death, you know, yeah. <laughs> at a party with a harpsichord. Dude, but- for real. <laughs> And there was also like, and then all of them had apprentices, these like 13 year old apprentices and the, and they're all fucking the apprentices. Right. I mean, they're, they're like having sex with 13 year old boys and they yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the master painters loved right. it. Uh, yeah. Loved and it all happened. I think everybody knew that's what you did. Yeah. Good distinction there. Just in case. Yeah. Okay. But it happened to them too, you know, and talk right, about right. some of the worst parents. We go back to the freaking Renaissance era, you know. See, and that's my question, because you know, it's like we always have this narrative of like, okay, my parents, you know, these are the things I'm dissatisfied with. Here's what I would have changed. Everyone has that, right? You know, like here's how I would raise my kids, you know, in response to how my parents raised me, all that sort of stuff. Was there ever a time of just like solid, solid, solid? parenting you know and there are a lot of solid parents today sure but like i think um, for sure i think we we go through various stages you know an interesting read too is really identifying moments of good parenting like one thing that comes to mind historical parenting like you know native american times but like like uh here in new mexico right the navajo culture yeah really like solid parenting i I would imagine way back Mm. they 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 found like you know uh they have like traditions and books and oral stories and all this stuff on raising a good child and communicating with them and their spirit and discovering who their spirit animal is and all this protecting them and like that yeah including them and giving them a voice and never like abusing or hitting them you know hey i was gonna say yeah because in um uh fuck what's that guy's name the the history on fire guy uh daniele bellelli yeah yeah um in one of his he talks about that how like um yeah like all the like traditionally in Navajo cultures just like hitting children was not a thing until you start to see um native people taken to to boarding schools you know taken from their families brought to boarding schools which were fucking horrible fucked up environments and then eventually you know when they get out of the boarding school go back to their tribe maybe have a couple of kids and start hitting the kids because like now they're all fucked up from going to this boarding school and they got hit in boarding school yeah they got fucked up they hit their minds are all messed up they're traumatized you know right so yeah or like i was thinking about my my great great grandfather because or no not great great my great grandfather because i i i asked my grandma like a year ago or something like that um what she remembers about her parents and she's describing this guy vincent sassoni her father and and she goes he was a tyrant that's how she described him he was a tyrant she goes you know domestic abuse the guy was fucking crazy um 
hitting apparently he was a musician too which is fascinating but you know angry hitting hitting his wife hitting his kids whatever yeah. throwing shit losing his mind so that's an interesting point the musician i'll come back to that go ahead yeah sure so this guy i mean he grew up during the uh you know world war one era you know and like um i th- he might have been a veteran i'm not really sure world world war one veteran i'm not really sure the history the family history is a little bit fuzzy but um but anyway so it's like the guy had fucked up experiences and wasn't a good father and all of that and i'm wondering like okay well what was his father like and what was that father like and that father and so on yeah and was this guy vincent did he just have a particularly was he like the guy who got sent to boarding school and came back and was shitty to his kids right right when when did that darkness begin in that in that line in the family you know I think it's generational trauma for sure. It's also trauma, yeah. the moment, the cultural moment. Right. Or uh, the economy, World War II was around the corner. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, um, it's interesting, too, that uh, that those those individuals were oftentimes musicians and artists and poets, like my grand, one of my grandpa's died working on the rail railroad like there's like few pictures of them but they're ones that are is like you know coco style guys got a guitar like wow a pen and paper or something out in the rail yard but also guy was a little unhinged you know you know my mom loved him apparently you know and, mm-hmm. but this was your, your mom's grandfather my mom's dad didn't oh, okay. too well but yeah this was more world war ii but yeah. he learned from his his dad that was also like part of I'm pretty sure like you know the Spanish Mexican music you know uh, movement here in northern New Mexico and shit like that. Pretty wild yeah. musicians, you know, yeah. Artists, yeah, people that our current society would call metro were actually like the high <laughs> males throughout the various generations. It's funny. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that our current society would call Metro. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking no one even uses that word anymore. <laughs> We're bringing it back. Oh, man. So, um, think about it generationally, though. So, let's go back like four, let's go back like five generations. Yeah. You're in Scotland, you know, you have your dog and you're making your haggis <laughs> with your woman and you're having a good time on the island. You know? <laughs> and there's some shit or whatever. But listen, you really love your kid, Colin. He's a very good boy. You know, and you take him fishing and take him to the pub and get drunk. Every take day. him to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a pretty good dad, whatever. Cool. Boom, some shit breaks out in the United Kingdom. You know, you got right, to right. jump on a ship. You come over, that dude's still pretty cool. He's a little traumatized, maybe smacks you over the head with his lucky charm ring because the shit boat ride from Scotland is really <laughs> rough. Uh, but ultimately, pretty good dad. His son remembers getting smacked up by his dad. Also, then now remembers his dad having to go to gangs in New York and right, with Daniel right. Day Lewis the butcher, and they lived in the ghetto, and one day <laughs> like rat souffle, and like right. saw his dad get beat up, and his mom, you know. So this guy's pissed off. So he grows older. He has kids. He finally fights to get some sort of little cottage, you know, outside of Pennsylvania. <laughs> the 
really nice for a sweetie muddy. So they get married, you know, he has kids. That dude's traumatized as fuck. You yeah. Know, that dude's just beating the shit out of his kids all the time. Boom. Right. Where one comes around, that kid is 15 yeah, that's years old. Weird. He gets lied to and signed off into the army. He has to go to World War One. This is my great great grandpa, right? Yeah. And change it from Scottish to Spanish, you know, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh he gets freaking sent to World War One. Guy's five foot four, you know, little Chicano dude from Spain. Yeah. He gets sent to freaking the war, the worst war in the history of man. Yeah, most deaths of all time, freaking the industrial war with me- the mechanical war. Nobody'd ever seen a tank before. They literally thought these were like demons, you know. Planes were demons in the sky. Yeah, in the sky and shit. These villagers, you know, sco- oh, oh, that's fucking crazy, a third yeah. dragon in the sky. Right, freaking. I mean, the they really were, yeah, just like fucking farmer villagers, just yeah. like hanging out in the fields all day with their like weird stories and, and, and their donkeys and their horses and yeah yeah wearing like like leader hosens and like playing bagpipes and they get sent right. sent into the trenches with fucking planes and they never even seen a plane before like playing alphorns oh. yeah, yeah. Right. just uh yeah oh, or like a tank like there's this great scene right. in- in this movie that came out about uh, World War One from the German, a, ger- a young German soldier's perspective. Mm. And he falls in a trench. There's this crazy battle going on. He falls in a trench and a tank w- drives over the trench. And it's like the first time he's ever seen a tank. And it's so loud and yeah. scary and just like they're in shock. They don't know what to do. They're like in the trench, just like, what the fuck? And they yeah. start shooting at it, ding, 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 ricocheting, freaking, you know, you're literally the epitome of fear. Most people yeah, have, a lot you have of no idea. It's gross, you know, if, if yeah. adrenaline didn't keep you alive. Yeah. Wild. Man. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. This- Go back to parenting. <laughs> <laughs> so that war is over. Yeah. You come back to your ranch in Mora, New Mexico. Right. We can marry. Oh, yeah. See, marry through job. We can. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Like, my grandpa's dad, my grandpa, my great grandpa, my grandpa, Ray, he used to tell me, my dad, that his dad went to World War. This is the guy I've been talking about the whole time. He goes to World War One. This dude was a rancher. Moran, New Mexico guy was pissed off all the time. This this was yeah. this was his drill. My grandpa had to wake up every day, 3:30 in the morning, as a kid, Dolly style, nine years old on. Yeah. He would put the wood in the fire, light the fire. He would make my grandpa eggs and bacon, coffee, put it on the table in the in a fucking ranch, you know? Yeah. Easing. And then he would have to stand by the table until my grandpa woke up. So he said sometimes it'd be 45 minutes an hour. And that if his grandpa, woke, if his dad woke up and saw him not standing, he would have beat the shit up. Oh, shit. So freaking he would get up, go eat breakfast. My, my, my grandpa would have to stand there while he'd finish eating 
take yeah. this plate, go clean it, and then go work in the ranch all day long. And he yeah. said that his grandpa was his his dad was so strong that a few times he got in trouble or whatever that he beat the shit out of him so bad that every time he kicked him and he literally like got airborne and kicked him outside of the door, like hit the slammed into the door and went flying onto the porch. Yeah. Projectile them. You know, and then and then uh and then what does that cause, you know? But then it's weird because my grandpa Ray was I think he had some moments of definitely like roughing up some of the boys, but ultimately a good pretty good dad. But I mean this guy decided to join the Jehovah's Witness cult during the 70s, you know. So right, right. Clearly that takes a brain, traumatized brain, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And it's like seeing that's a thing. It's like um who is this? Tiknot Han, he's a uh well he died a couple of years ago. He's this Buddhist writer, but um he talks about kind of like the seven generations behind you and ahead of you, that kind of thing. Like like in all of your actions think about you know the impact of one where it's coming from and then two where it's going you know everything you do seven generations down the road so so that's the beauty of it too right any progress healing all of that stuff it's like okay pass that on right now so i guess that's another way of generating the village it's just kind of like any any familial heavy shit any familial uh generational trauma you know it's like like it stops here that sort of thing you know but then a lot of people would argue that previous generation parenting is way better than contemporary parenting because or something technology and stuff like that ruins our 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 children and you know right we don't have back to that sense of community or, 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 uh, or the village. Right. Right. And then, uh, first reform is interesting too, because it's the destruction of the village itself, which can p- possess and trouble a human so badly. Right. In your, in your child rearing philosophy with Dalton, are you taking the uh, 1950s man route? Do you, <laughs> <laughs> you have like, my eggs ready, Dalton? If you don't have my fucking eggs ready, <laughs> I think I I think I'm going with the 90s approach. I think the 90s, 90s approach yeah. were pretty good. I would go yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah, like a beautiful mind, like having good conversation with your kid, and like you nice, know, yeah. on like a good level of respect and openness, and uh, yeah, yeah. And camaraderie and, and, uh, you know, uh, again, just a mutual respect and also a sense of joy within where you're at. I feel like the nineties were one of the last periods of happiness in American history. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, there was just a back to nostalgia or a sense of like safety and like oneness Right. watching Michael Jordan on the bulls and like Disneyland and I don't know, just. Yeah. 90s McDonald's was so fun. 90s Las Vegas Nevada <laughs> was made for kids, you know, treasure yeah. pirate fights and dolphins yeah, yeah. at the Mirage and shit, circus, circus, you know. Everything now is, uh, yeah, 
it's it's changed you know so yeah i don't know yeah. if that's the right way to go about it but i think that uh i i i've the the most thing the thing i'm most proud of with as a parent is is the relationship that me and dalton have on a social you know level and nice. communication wise so yeah, yeah that's good nice. yeah i was actually um i was talking to a friend earlier and uh mentioned freaking dances with wolves do you remember like the early scene it's like the first scene in the movie kevin costner is like has an injured leg and he's trying to put his boot on yeah yeah, yeah. and he, and it's like 10 minutes of him just like putting his boot on <laughs> four hour movie the right. first 10 minutes is him putting his boot on he finally gets his boot on and dalton goes is that the whole movie <laughs> i'm just dying it's just like, like yep it's over like it's over it's the credits <laughs> the struggle of kevin costner putting a boot on in the movie ends. honestly yeah, it's life, though, you know we're just trying to get that boot on our injured foot you know for real for real <laughs> we get it on the adventure can begin and that's another thing about back to the 90s you know the 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 ability to seek adventure the the humanity that's in that right you know, and it may be a privileged position but the literally the word of privilege is you know a privilege to is happiness you know? right, right. And access and, yeah like i'm very privileged you know, to have had this right, experience the ability yeah. to do something and hopefully we all that the, the, here's the thing is a lot of scholars they find oh privilege privilege this it's not right. about taking away privilege. It's about giving privilege to everyone. Yeah. You know, in, in equal amounts. And, and yeah, I don't know. There was just like a vibe within the nineties that was so just like, yeah, yeah. Tribe almost in a way, an American tribe football, fucking, uh, president Clinton, freaking SNL. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, bro, I was in Albuquerque once, like years ago, not that long. I feel like it was like 2020 or something. I was going for a run in Albuquerque, just like up and down like Silver Ave there. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was 2020. So I was like, I just need to get outside. I need some exercise, like been inside freaking pandemic, you know? Yeah. Uh, No one's interacting, you know, and I'm going for a run. And this dude walking down the street i just like you know i'm running and just like cross paths you know and when i'm like a block away he just shouts at me he goes you can't run from your privilege <laughs> what? i was like what the fuck man i was like i didn't even fucking say anything i was just like jogging you know during the pandemic and uh dude sad hurt my feelings bro bro this goes back to first reformed when he's riding the bike with that girl and he's just like I forgot like the purity and the joy you get from exercise and he's yeah, exercises yeah, from God, you know, it's a privilege. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to go out and jog, you know, yeah. but then you get this dude that's like, Hey, you white piece of shit. Fucking yeah. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> leave me alone. I was like, you're attacking me, bro. Leave me alone. Right. Right. But, um, I don't know, man. We'll just, I, I feel like, and then the wild thing about ni- the 90s was 1999 was like one of the most beautifully creative years of all time. Art, literature, the Matrix, Goldie, right. 
you know. Holy smack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, here's here's a question I've been holding on to. Um, okay, first reformed, the title. Who is the first reformed? What is the first reformed? I'm pretty sure the church, like in the in the you know how it has the like historical marker outside the church. Um, I'm pretty sure the church was like the first reformed or something. But um I like this question. So yeah, if we look at it in like a thriller Ari Aster sort of way. First, you get reformed, and then madness ensues. Mm. First reform. First, he got you know changed. Yeah, yeah. By the sermon of the of not his own, but the guy, and then right. madness ensued of 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 suicide, depression, the whole of figuring out about climate change, and 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 really, the demonic side theoretically of humanity. You know. Mm. first first reformed then right 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 you know fucking yeah. uh insanity or serenity now insanity later you know yeah yeah that anything else <laughs> I'm, I'm also thinking of uh There's got to be something about the, you know, the first, the first person to be reformed, right? Or the reform yeah. process and his, his, him being a priest, it's like sort of an oxymoron or a juxtaposition sort of thing where you go to the church to be reformed, but he went, he was the first one of the church to really be reformed by the truth of society, which was global warming, corruption, greed within the church, all that stuff. So it wasn't, you know, the, the, the reformation project was not on the person, you know, external to the church. It was the church itself. It was the priest who was first reformed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? So the first thing you said, I hadn't thought of that, but I like that. The second thing you said, I was considering that. And then first reformed. I mean, who's the first? It's all of us, right? It's each individual. I think it goes back to the like, you know, take the plank out of your eye before you try and take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Like, right. like re reform yourself first, you know? Sure. sure. Um, so there's that. And yeah, and I guess just the idea of like, reform reformation you know i mean what's what's the significance of of that shift you know the first reform you know the the first time in your life that you that you look around and you say is this the the correct form or do we need to reform it you know right right and reform, this is going reform. back into what you were saying earlier with the postmodern era was the fracturing dealing with the fracturing of the watch the modern era literally does the action of throwing the watch the postmodern yeah. period deals with the fracturing of said watch while now we're in the contemporary period where we are in a reform re reformation process right we're trying mm. to reform the idea of the watch we're trying to make time work again you know going back right. to last week too we're trying this you first you must reform yourself in order to communicate with time again in order to 
reestablish the healthy web of existence of life that was then of the atom. The atom must be put back together. Of course, it can't be put yeah. back together the way it once was. Right. But how is it? What's the first step to that? Well, it's reformation. What's the first step of our contemporary generation? It's the reformation project of right. the post fallout of Oppenheimer's work. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Putting the atom back together. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, okay. I was going to ask um, what the fuck's with all the uh, climate change deniers? Right. Right. Is that shit still around? Because I know, like, you know, oh, yeah. it was May 2017, but like, yeah, that shit was always big. You know, people were just like, oh, no, it's like, no, just, come on. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, humans aren't impacting anything. What are you serious? Like, right. how can, especially now, you know, there's fucking smoke in the air all over the world, or at least all over America because of fucking forest fires and shit. You know, right. it's like, right. like people in New York City choking on fire smoke from canada it's like how do you for the first time ever right how do you see things like that and and be like oh yeah like like come on climate change <laughs> you know like <laughs> we got fucking fire tornadoes now you know yeah like the hottest summer on record the core stopped turning you know we got uh, aliens are here yeah so and so do people, the climate deniers it's amazing are they still around so like like, I feel like I haven't actually... Well, I mean, Trump that. was a recent development, you know? And they oh, that's true. Spiky and yeah. he was totally against it. Yeah. Uh, it's a sham, false news, you know? It's a sham. <laughs> the Chinese made it up. <laughs> it's cold when it should be cold. It's hot when it should be hot. Oh, man. Um, but it's, it's just... And then those pictures he's looking at of like the starving polar bears and the, right. all the oil and nasty shit in our oceans and just like oh. it, it's it's horrifying. It sucks. But listen, man, back to being dogmatic. I think one of the primary ways we may be able to save ourselves is AI fucking robot, some sort of machine or something that maybe in our oceans. Yeah, ask it, hey, how do we solve the, the cool, climate yeah, crisis? You know? you know, something because yeah. or 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 a globe or a mass traumatic event. That's another interesting thing that Cedric says before. He's like, Do you really think Ethan Huck, do you really think God wants to hurt his creation? And Cedric's just like, Well, he did it before, you know, 40 days yeah. and 40 nights. And yeah. really, if you think about it from a theoretical sense. That might have been caused by, uh, by you know, humans' impact on an environment. And if we think about the whole like generational, or or I can't remember what the theory is, but there's lots of societies throughout the history of Earth. Yeah, we have no more record of because of ice ages, because of crazy wars with bombs and shit, because of right. it's you know, etc. We don't have record of them. Um, but they were there and they existed, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or people who have given themselves to, uh, environmental destruction in the past, which is a real thing. I mean, I, I forget the group of people, right. Right. But there was a group of people on an Island and they, they used up all the lumber. They used up like every tree on that Island, you know, and then 
couldn't eat anymore because of that and and had to abandon the island. So, you know, it's something that people have done before, just in a smaller scale. Right. Yeah. Um, It could have happened on a global scale too. We could we could have scorched the 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 ozone and it and it repaired itself over a million years. You know, we would have no recollection or file of those beings. You know, right. Which is crazy that cave they found those three hundred thousand year old cave paintings and bones. Like three hundred thousand years, man. Yeah. All right, last thing, then I gotta get going soon. But one theory is that the UFOs aren't coming from outer space. They're coming from deep beneath the ocean. Right, right. Because the the pill came up through the ocean, the Tic Tac ship. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Do you think they're uh, actually earthbound beings who just happen to live deep in the ocean? Are they our ocean ocean dwelling Atlantean brothers and sisters, or are they uh, extraterrestrials coming from another planet? Oh, wow, we don't know much about our oceans. No, so, no. I will say this though: what makes more sense to me is some fucking war of the world shit where they were buried there long ago and activated and coming up through the oceans oh Oh, that's right yeah i love that Mm -hmm. (laughs) how do you remember that that that's like like you know you know so many fucking movie references which is like like once you did it i remember the noise that the that the war of the world (laughs) shit makes but like i never would have thought to just be like that shit haunts me in the fourth dimension when i have oppenheimer (laughs) digits like Like, live in that realm you know (laughs) also yeah that movie's so scary i've seen it a bunch of times but that's so good like one of the most to me that's one of the most quintessential best like uh first contact scenes of any is that fucking robot coming up through the ground yeah so good and then tom cruise gets home covered in human dust just like what's wrong daddy yeah (laughs) (laughs) maybe that should be the movie for next week war of the worlds yeah oh that'd be cool yeah 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 it's been a minute that'd be a fun man i'm ready for first contact that's all i know let's hope they're peaceful (laughs) you know if not well that's gonna be that's our fate you know but bro if they're not peaceful i feel like they already would have uh yeah we've been dead on their thing bro you know right right unless they're unless they're fucking with us you know we're in this one huge gigantic prison with like cancer and stuff and it's all being cured maybe yeah Yeah, I say they're peaceful, man. They're filming a documentary. Zorberg Attenborough's here. <laughs> Zorberg. <laughs> oh, man, so funny. Just in a peaceful science vessel. I don't want to contact, man. Hashtag chimp empire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It's it's getting, like, too uh, too real, you know? Like the rhetoric around it has changed. I feel like um, when I'd look online or whatever, it was always kind of like, not that I was like that often, like doing research into like UFO sightings, but I feel like the the rhetoric around it was always like, if, you know, it was always in the, uh, like, if this is what's happening, if they're real, 
do you think aliens exist? Right. And now you could just see it linguistically. Like when you see people like, you know, commenting online about alien shit, it's just like, like almost like accepted reality that, that we're not alone. It's funny too. And then, and like, it was way more prominent in the nineties for people to say, Oh no, there's no aliens. Right. <laughs> crazy. Like that's yeah. fucking crazy. You know, that's hilarious. Yes. Conspiracy theorists. You go to blockbuster and smoke weed in your van, you know? Yeah. But really now you just like you're saying, it's more common for people to be like, yeah, there's fucking more than likely some aliens and they've already made contact, you know, that's why. Senate. Or bro, freaking uh, Doug Rushkoff, the scholar I like, he he talked about um, the alien, the alien meme as like a cultural thing that comes up every couple of decades or whatever. Right. And he and he tracks it and he goes, okay, aliens first got big in like the post World War II era, right? Nuclear age. Um, Roswell. Roswell, all this stuff, right? So like fifties, early sixties, aliens were big, right? Right. And then he says, then you see aliens get big again. Oh, man, I forgot exactly what he said, because there's like a bunch of different iterations. But then he's talking about aliens in the 90s and then he's talking about aliens like today, you know, but apparently there's like different cultural moments where people get alien obsessed. Right. Right. And then Doug Rushkoff, he says uh, he goes, you you can look at like what's going on in the society and in the culture. And it always seems to be during some big um, cultural technological shift where people then start questioning about aliens, right, you know, right. Which is fascinating if it's just kind of like a. I don't know. Oh, there's a lot of change lately. Who knows aliens, you know? Right. And it's not the first time that there's been like it's been brought up in a Senate hearing or something like that, you know, in the 50s, yeah. I'm sure it was and brought yeah, up yeah. in the papers and stuff, you know, that's an interesting thought. I think it would be short, short sighted to say that it's just like a fad, like a reoccurring fad. Right. Yeah. Um, though it would be interesting to, to pinpoint the, the points in history when it was a fad and try to right. relate why that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Was it a moment of escapism, wanting to escape the current reality, or was it being so right. comfortable with your present reality that you're willing to accept another reality into it, you know, as an integration? The dark crystal yeah. style. Dark crystal, yeah. Uh, On behalf of the Jareds, thank you for listening. You can reach the show at jaredtojared at gmail.com. We will be back next week and always remember, wisdom is holding two contradictory truths in our mind. Simultaneously, hope and despair. A life without despair is a life without hope. Until next time. <laughs>